You are listening to the award-winning The Young Jerks with Mike Crawford. Let's just throw them up there. All hail Queen Lauren is one of the first ones. Uh, Here's one. What's up, Dawson? Welcome back, bud, from Randall. A lot of, a lot of people are uh, talking about Dawson right now. Keep pushing Dawson is another one. You're an amazing soul. Uh, another Facebook user writes, Faithful, faithfully watching from Beantown. Hashtag Young Jerks for the win. Uh, Rachel, a friend of the show, writes, I've never had an opportunity to purchase legal weed. Thank God for those that cure leaf claims are drug dealers. They're war heroes. Right. Hashtag end the drug war. Um, I guess, you know, one of the other things I wanted to talk about related is big cannabis because, you know, these guys from Curaleaf were talking about how the street dealers are untested and how it's so dangerous. But we uh, keep seeing, yeah, we keep seeing this issue in Massachusetts where it's the it's the big cannabis that we're worried about with the mold. The mold is everywhere. Hmm. Every time we, you know, turn over a rock at one of these dispensaries, we find employees telling us about how much mold there is there. Um, there's so many that we haven't even reported on that we've received reports on. It just dozens. There are dozens. I'm not, I, I know for a fact that there are dozens of dispensaries open in Massachusetts right now with permits that are full of mold. And and one of the ones we definitely know is Strain. Strain is Holistic Industries. Uh, the Cannabis Control Commission just recently uh, conducted a virtual mold investigation. Let me say that again. They virtually investigated them. For what does that mean? Hold on. Cleared them. Uh, does that mean that they investigate them in the matrix or they investigate them like here? I think, that, uh, yeah. I think that what that I means is, yeah, I think that what that means is that they're covering it up. And uh, you know, number oh. one. And number two, they're admitting how dangerous it was. That it was so, that it's so dangerous at this work environment that they won't send their the cannabis control commission employees in there because they're worried about their safety from the mold. But yet yeah, there, there are minimum wage workers at Strain, at Holistic Industries in Monson working there every single day, and they don't care about them. Well, you know, I just, mean, yeah. It's, it's, I, do you have any unionized dispensaries in Massachusetts yet? Is we do, but not. Yes, we do. But Strain is not unionized. Uh, and hmm. it's so funny because the reason I'm bringing this up right now, I want to make sure people get the final part of this is that since the virtual investigation ended, right, since the CCC cleared them and didn't answer any of the monsoon, like the uh, the town officials in Monson, the Board of Health, they wanted answers from the Cannabis Control Commission. They wanted answers from Holistic Industries. They wanted, uh, they had a series of questions and they got, no. basically, they got, an, a, you know, a finger back from the Cannabis Control Commission. I saw the email that they got back. And it was like, we virtually investigate it. We test. It's it's all set. They're all fine. And since then, and just, you know, just in general, if you go to the largest uh, Reddit group dedicated to cannabis in Massachusetts, that's uh, Boston Trees, and just put a search there for strain mold or netta mold. And what you'll find is just dozens and dozens every single day. There's someone else that's complaining about the moldy weed they just picked up from the dispensary. Yeah, we, it, we have a- th- this is interesting, Mike, because these companies have also gone to bat to essentially like relax the mold testing requirements in other states. Pennsylvania was one of them this year. 
So they actually um, raised the amount of mold that they you can put into products in Pennsylvania. The other weird thing that they did this year, and these were the large national brands, you know, that came together or lobbied for this legislation. They wanted to be able to remediate moldy flour into oil and then sell the oil to patients as long as it had a label saying it was remediated. And they got away with that. They allowed that in Pennsylvania. Um, a, another weird thing that happened recently was, um, you know, there was a big recall in Michigan and um, one of the state laboratories, get this, a couple of former police forensic guys got together and started up a marijuana testing laboratory. And everybody thought, ah, it's a couple of cops. They must be trustworthy, right? <laughs> so they started up a lab and they got like one quarter of the state's regulated weed coming through there. And it turns out they were sending moldy weed out to customers. This is in the adult use market. So Michigan issued the largest recall ever of marijuana in the state. And they, the lab pushed back. So did the providers. They said, well, you know, maybe it's moldy. But let us have the weed and sell it to people with a label that says eh, it might be moldy. And they got away with that. So the regulators in Michigan tried to issue a recall. The laboratory and the manufacturers fought back in court and got a judge to put an injunction on the recall, basically. And they got to sell their moldy weed as long as it had a label. So, yeah, moldy weed is something, obviously, that the industry has a problem with. Look, the more we complain about it, the more they're lobbying legislators just to, like, have the moldy weed. I mean, it's like, I mean, have you ever seen stinky tofu and how they, you know... <laughs> how they make stinky tofu over in yeah. China. That's what's like the weed is starting to you look, know, it's, starting it's, to look it's, like stinky tofu. This is not it's cool, ridiculous. Okay? And you know, you know, what's so funny is, by is the way, the, if you pick the judge, marijuana, the THC comes out. So don't make stinky tofu marijuana. Okay. <laughs> the judge actually putting the label that there's mold on it is like an improvement. I would love to see that in Massachusetts. <laughs> at least, at least they're being honest so that, you know, <laughs> Like, this is what pisses me off. People don't realize what's in this product. They think it's safe, not labeled, that there's mold in it. And they open it up and they smell it or they smoke it first. And then they realize there's mold in this product. And it happens all the time. Now we're, we're actually in Maine. We're suing the state of Maine, the coalition is. And we're suing them because they're refusing to follow their own laws. They're not enforcing the laws. And um, the, the main law we're talking about is the residency. In, in Maine, you have to be a resident of Maine, which is uh, dis determined by three years or more of taxes paid in Maine. And if you don't have that, then you're, you're not supposed to play in Maine until you have it. And uh, they're not, they're not enforcing that law we're suing them you know it should be a battle <laughs> but uh thank you dawson yeah no that's a really interesting thing right there um dawson's been doing good work wellness connection so everybody knows the state of maine it was trying to fulfill the promise of equity and one of the easy ways you could try and do that is by having residency requirements for the permits Maine was saying, hey, we're not going to give you an adult use permit unless you're an actual Maine resident. Our first round of permits is going to go out to Maine residents. Wellness Connection fought the Craft Cannabis Coalition. They went to the legislature. The legislature turned them down. They were like, hey, no, we really want Maine residents to sell the weed. 
Instead, Wellness Connection went to federal freaking court and won a ruling that brought the residency requirements into question. But they weren't the only one. Um, similar corporate operators went to federal court in Missouri just a few weeks later and got a similar ruling. So here's my advice to states if they're confused. They were ignoring a bunch of federal laws, like, you know, the Controlled Substances Act. They were ignoring that happily. They were ignoring those federal laws. They were ignoring any rulings related to those federal laws. So when it comes to these court rulings recently, I think they should ignore them. I think that Maine should press ahead and use its residency requirement. If they're going to ignore all these federal laws, they need to ignore the ones that are trying to injunct their action. And my suggestion to states and regulators is to keep ignoring federal laws. Just keep doing it for now until we change them, and then they'll be more appealing. Lauren, you got anything you want to throw in this conversation right now? Uh, I second that motion for uh, <laughs> federal court to start ignoring federal laws. Uh, that you know, I also feel that uh, if the state was, I. I think generally the state's been trying to do something better for uh, the people of Maine than the federal court system has besides the ignoring it. But I think that, um, I don't know. It's also, it's hard because Maine's also such a, you can just get a vacation home in Maine and pay taxes on it and never live there except one month a year for the past 10 years. Cause you're a rich business owner and you have a residency technically. Right. So how much are these residency requirements actually even well, they're not, yeah, yeah, they're not even enforcing them. So yeah, that's not a good question. Though. Even if even if that's the the residency <laughs> requirement, it I can still see so many rich people loopholes. Absolutely, cannabis companies sure. that have a vacation home in Maine for yep. ten years and they're technically residents, or a cousin that they just you know put on the business yeah, that lives so in Maine. Like you know, um, I understand the intent of it, but I also feel it's extremely hard to enforce. Which in general, when laws are hard to enforce, you know. That makes sense. Absolutely. Problems. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I, I, wanna... I also want to, before we leave the topic of cure relief, I have to say again, one of the weird things about them is uh, when they talk, they want to get taken seriously as like national health care companies. And one of the things that I testified last week before the New Jersey uh, Cannabis Regulatory Commission, and they were adopting the special waiver for COVID-19. And two years ago, they granted dispensaries essential status. And they also allowed them to perform curbside pickup here in New Jersey, along with all kinds of other special rules. It turns out none of them really operate. Maybe one or two occasionally operate curbside pickup, but it's not consistently available. Moreover, there really isn't any information on how often staff at dispensaries have gotten COVID-19 or how often the dispensaries have closed even temporarily um, or if they've closed at all. You know, it would be hard to think that the dispensaries of New Jersey shouldn't have had to close a few times because of COVID-19. It's hard to imagine that their staff is completely without infection. But patients, caregivers, even the staff at these dispensaries, these companies, in my opinion, haven't been as responsible as they should be. Regulators also have given themselves special waivers. I mean, these dispensaries should be like uh, an experiment in just how safe you can be. There, there yeah. should be delivery. There should be pickup. There should be all these options available. Um, and quite frankly, I know this may sound unpopular to some listeners, but it's my opinion that in Philadelphia, you need proof of vaccination to go into a restaurant. I think that you should probably have that for a medical marijuana dispensary. With and patients. For those, 
Especially yeah. for patients. I mean, patients, come on. Patients, caregivers, and staff. You should yeah. be able to go in the dispensary without proof of vaccination. So they don't have that. And, and they don't have that in Massachusetts. All the things that you're talking about, the same in Massachusetts. Right. Uh, the only time we've ever found out about dispensaries closing down to COVID-19 is, you know, myself or others social finding media, it on their social media. Yeah. yeah. And then posting it everywhere. Like, oh, look, Rev Clinic's closed down yeah. again. Another COVID outbreak. It, it doesn't come from because they were out of employees to work that day. True. Jeez. Wow. Right? Like it wasn't like a, an enforced thing. It's because, oh, we just literally don't have they any don't have employees. any employees. They're all mm. sick. Yeah. That's don't, don't you know, we're not here. Like, but again, patients come last. That's what we're hearing about. Massachusetts and New Jersey. Maine seems a little better, a lot better. Um, I, I want to go to this one too, because this is uh again from Chris Goldstein. Uh -huh. Breaking news on Twitter. If you if you don't follow Chris on Twitter, you should. It's at Freedom is Green. He's writing about uh, Senator Scutari. Uh, he writes, uh, Senator Scutari's New Jersey's upcoming Senate president and sponsor of marijuana laws told a webinar audience yesterday he doesn't expect home cannabis cultivation. He's not he's not supporting it, right? Oh, yeah. No, he's not just not supporting it. Um, so Scatari just ascended to being the Senate president today, as a matter of fact, and he takes over for Steve Sweeney, who got lost a, a wildly lost an election to a Republican. And he, Sweeney was seen as a, a, a very powerful Democrat in Trenton. What's interesting about Sweeney and Scatari is that they went hand in hand on the New Jersey legalization legislation. And those two, for the last couple of years, have poo-pooed any concept of home growth. No home grow, no home grow. So oddly enough, New Jersey legalized marijuana, but we didn't legalize gardens in the garden state. And I don't know, dude, I, you know, we have bills. We have a bill for medical patients to possibly grow four to six plants at home. We have another bill from Senator Vin Gapal, which would possibly legalize home cultivation for everyone. But this is Senator Scatari. He's now the Senate president. He is again saying he's against home grow. And his reasoning was it might hurt the nascent recreational industry. He says he's heard these things in Colorado. And maybe like 10 years ago when the plant count was 99 plants per household instead of 12, maybe Colorado regulators told him that there was some sort of big diversion problem. But that's certainly not true today in Colorado. In fact, you know, I looked it up and they just aren't even seizing that many marijuana plants in Colorado anymore. It's kind of amazing. But what Scatari is getting at here is that New Jersey residents, especially medical marijuana patients even, nobody can grow at home because companies, <laughs> big companies, are expected to, we're expected to just go there and purchase our marijuana. And this is what's weird. I was asking you about this the other day, Mike, because you're up there in Massachusetts. It's probably pretty easy for you to go to Maine. I mean, do these regulators and companies really expect us to stay right within our state when we can get a 50% discount with a reasonable drive? And what better product. And a better product. are they on? Yeah. Well, and you know, and it, the, to me, it's a better product. And you know what, Chris? Oh, too, it's a very, it, they, yeah. They, you know, if you notice my Facebook this week, they get very mad when I when we talk about this. They don't like us talking about this. Like, Who, like I'm a bad that? man for telling patients about Maine. I'm very oh, bad. Go to Maine, yeah. yeah. I, you know, come on, folks. I mean, I tell New Jersey patients to go to Maine. Honestly, 
you know, the dispensaries here are crowded and they're expensive. And honestly, if you can afford to make the time and the trip up to Maine to get a month's supply of medical cannabis, it is the much more reasonable uh, choice for New Jersey patients. I mean, who can afford $300 an ounce? I, especially, I, you know, I'm encountering a lot of families out there. I, they're one of the most taboo subjects, and it still is, which is odd, is that a lot of teenagers, we're talking like 15 to 19-year-olds, are medical cannabis patients now for health and mental health conditions. So you're talking about whole families. So mom, dad, son, and daughter are all patients. $300 an ounce does not work for a working class family. I mean, these families have to go to Maine to get $100 an ounce to be able to supply their entire family with medical cannabis. It's simply unaffordable to do so otherwise. So, you know, that, that's, that's another key component here is that I think whole families are patients now. It's, it's, you know, sons and fathers, mothers and daughters. It's not just one patient at a time. 10 years ago, there'd be one medical cannabis patient in a household. Now it's the entire household. So how do how do we make that more affordable? That's the real question. It's funny because uh, in Massachusetts, it's been a lot of talk about social equity, and you know, just all. It, it, there's been no talk about restorative justice. There's been no talk about how much the police have profited hmm. off of cannabis above all else. It's not it's not people of color. It's not black men. It's not black women. It's not people who've been busted. It's police. They're getting details, huge details. New England Treatment Access alone has paid millions of dollars to the police department there. What are they you know, paying for? Like protection money? Details. Is yeah, this details. Like straight up protection and, and, money? And, and this, they, and exactly what it is. Because, you know, and because I, I talk to a lot of the employees and, you know, these police aren't there off hours where they could get where the dispensary could actually get looted. They're, they're not actually there to protect the dispensary. They're just there to charge for a detail when the dispensary is open. Number one, number two, you know, like you talked about so many police have gotten into the business. So many, oh. every dispensary has an ex cop, not everyone, but a lot of them, probably a third of them have an ex cop on payroll. Who's the, now the head of security. I mean, these cops are making a lot of money off of cannabis they're getting new cop cars and you know it's this is a joke there's no real plan you know, you know i we, wonder you know, in brookline and newton and you know we're talking places where like you know pretty much they could hire a regular person to you know help direct traffic into the parking lot which is at most what they do this is not you know, uh, this is not a situation that requires like armed law enforcement. <laughs> so I've been around some Massachusetts dispensaries. They don't look like they're in bad neighborhoods. Everybody's happy and friendly. I've really never I felt anything but totally safe around these places. Yeah. And um, some of them are like, I noticed one, there's one in Worcester that's like right across from the police station. So it's like, they don't need a detail there. They can just look out the window and see the dispensary. <laughs> That's one of the creepiest things about today, though. I think that cannabis consumers and medical marijuana patients, we have to be more careful about our privacy. You know, that's a big thing about 2022. I saw, um, and, you know, in New Jersey, because dispensaries aren't regulated yet, there's a lot of sort of gray market services. And I saw a gray market medical marijuana dispensary pop up today, and they want you to upload all of your information. But they're not a regulated dispensary. 
So like on one hand, it's awesome that they're serving patients. On the other hand, it's not awesome that they're collecting their information like that. That's pretty scary, actually. So we really are in, um, a, I think, a very dangerous time for consumers and patients. Our data is really uh, being sought after by everybody. It's being sold. Big companies like Cureleaf and Columbia Care, they're not covered by HIPAA. You know, there's there's no health insurance privacy protection act for your data with these companies. Your data is for sale. Your medical marijuana data is for sale every day in this industry. And there needs to be some legislation to stop that. But large companies too, like Cureleaf, you know, the way that they operate is simply to pump and dump their stock. They are when you say they're not out there for patients, that guy is out there doing a media appearance to try and get his stock to go up just a little bit today. That's it. These people weren't in marijuana 10 years ago. They won't be in marijuana 10 years from now. That's the whole. Well, I mean, well, I mean, I don't think so. We've seen such consolidation in the last few years. I mean, geez, people who were in marijuana five years ago aren't in it today. And they were they were funded with hundreds of billions of dollars. They had press releases and grand ribbon cutting openings. They're gone. I mean, there's there's local dispensary chains that we know of that we hear, heard the rumors that they were for sale a few years ago. But then what happened? All the all the stocks went down. All the cannabis stocks dropped. So I, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of these these uh, big dispensary chains are, are just waiting until those stock prices go up and they can get the big uh, bailouts. You know, they can sell they're, to it. They're not consolidation. Go any, yeah, yeah, they're not going to go up anytime soon. They're really I know. They're, they've reached a saturation point, and until they until we accept a couple of things, I'll tell you what they're pushing for in New Jersey. Um, large cannabis permit holders are looking to have a bill that would have medical insurance subsidized cannabis, which would, on one hand, on the concept, I like it. Patients could go and get an ounce of marijuana for a copay. On if you dig deeper into that, though, taxpayers and patients are going to get a bad deal if it's a four hundred dollar ounce that's getting a copay on. So we, if they want to be taken seriously as a healthcare company, if they want to get medical insurance to pay for their products, we need price transparency and price controls. We need to know how much it costs to manufacture it, how much of a markup we can give them with the subsidy, and we need price controls across the country on corporate-sized businesses. The other we thing have, about price, go ahead, yeah. Do we have anything like that in uh, anything medical at all right now, even, you know, any medicine right now. I mean, this is something that's an issue in all of everybody. You're right. Um, You're right. But we've come (laughs) a long way. I mean, now there is price transparency on hospital bills. That's what's pushing the hospital bills down. All these things were, you're absolutely right. This was an endemic problem. Corporate cartels are a problem, not just in marijuana. The reason that we're experiencing corporate cartels in marijuana is because it's a well-played system in other businesses. So there are corporate cartels in tuna fish, maple syrup, eggs. The White House had a press conference last year about a corporate cartel in meatpacking that was raising prices on everything. We have it in insulin. Oh, yeah, that's huge. That's why a lot of the inflation went up. Well, this is the kind of the point, though is that marijuana, while those other issues are even larger industries that are more complex and more dug in in politics, marijuana is a new industry. So the usual corporate tactics stink even worse when you see them here. You can see it right on the surface. You can't hide it. There's no hiding the bullshit of the corporate cartels and how they operate marijuana. I think it should wake people up and say, if this is how business is done, with marijuana, 
And this is how business is being done elsewhere. We have to change how we do business in America. Like that is that is a base problem is how corporations shut everybody out and how we're losing to that at every level as consumers. But again, on other issues, we've come around on this. If we didn't regulate gasoline and OPEC is not a perfect cartel, but we're not paying $12 a gallon for our gasoline today. If we didn't regulate eggs and other commodities, those corporations could get away with price gouging and we'd be paying $20 a carton for our eggs right now. But, but we have we this. We have this specifically in the medical field. We have this specifically with things like insulin, things yeah. like uh, life-saving drugs that But um, that was a kind of new though. I mean, insulin's even new. At, well, know. but that's a there's a new concept there to control those prices, Lauren. You're right. People were freaked out by Pharma Bro jacking up the price of AIDS. That's right. People were freaked out by the EpiPen prices going up so high right. in the last five years. That freaked people out so hard that they made them start thinking, oh, man, I got to, you know, politicians, too. Politicians are medical consumers. And right. I think there are more politicians that are paying $300 an ounce for their medical marijuana unhappily, too, these days, quite frankly. <laughs> so, you know, price controls are something that affect all Americans. Politicians are Americans, too, and they don't like paying a lot of money for their consumer products, just like anybody else. I but guess I guess. I guess where I want to wrap this cannabis conversation up is how do we fix these issues, Chris? And I'm going to ask Dawson too, because you guys are both like right in and the thick of this stuff. How how do we fix all the issues we talked about tonight, protected patients, data privacy, but especially the costs and how do we get them to take it seriously? Like they take insulin. Like this is a, I, I think a lot of people don't get that this is medicine for a lot of people. This isn't just like, you know, do I buy a candy bar today or not? This is, I need this medicine and it's costing me so much money. I can't afford it. So I'm going to have to go back on the oxycodone. How do we, how do we get them to take this seriously? I guess uh, let's go to Dawson for us. He hasn't spoken in a while. We'll, we'll bring him up. Dawson, what do you got for us? Thank you. Um, I would say let's, you know, this is the way to do it. Go on the offense. Don't play defense play offense and i'll tell you how how uh we got rid of the pharmaceutical companies in maine were all testifying against marijuana bills every marijuana bill that came forward they were all against it and we shot them down um it was basically my testimony that happened one of the lobbyists called me out and told told the uh the uh the the, re, the uh commission that my testimony was unscientific and not proven and de, 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 uh basically demoralized my whole testimony and i wrote a letter to to all the um representatives the next day and i copied everybody on the email including the lobbyists who wrote who said bad stuff about me and i wrote to them all and i said here's the proof that this the studies i showed you were scientific and i i got follow back emails from a bunch of members and saying thank you and that the farmers the pharma companies haven't messed with anything since 2012 
in Maine. And it's because we, we went on the offense instead of the defense. I'll give you another example. Um, one thing we did was I, uh, the governor of Maine, Janet Mills, was previously the attorney general for Maine. And I went to her and I told her, um, you know, we don't have uh, money for uh, uh, an addict, you know, to, to, to go uh, rehab in a bed or whatever. There's no low money in, income uh, programs. And, uh, you know, it was a big problem in Maine, apparently. And what I did was I told, I convinced Janet Mills, who was then the district attorney, the attorney general, uh, I convinced her to sue the pharmaceutical companies. And she not only sued them, but she, uh, she convinced a lot of other states. There was like 40-something states that jumped into this lawsuit, and we screwed their shit all up. You know, and they... I love it. Go on the offense. Screw up all their shit up. I love it. Thank you, Dawson. And then then we never saw them again. They don't mess with us anymore. (laughs) Let's go back to Chris Goldstein. Chris, let's uh, get you back up here. <clears throat> yeah, what, what's I, your I final thoughts on all this? How, how do we get some we change? Need pri- we need price controls. Um, I know it sounds scary to some folks, but I think that price controls are going to be the answer to helping small businesses and helping consumers. And honestly, we have them in place for all kinds of consumer goods every day. We need them in place for cannabis, too. I'm talking about cr- price controls for corporate cannabis. Um, unless we have an Occupy Wall Street kind of a moment in Congress, we're not going to get these corporations out completely. So they need to be managed differently. So I think that if you're going to be an industrial multi-state cannabis operator, you need to be under price floors and price ceilings. It's, it's that simple. Because Wellness Connection and what they're doing up in Maine, they could also crash markets. They could start selling marijuana lower than craft operators and that's what's happening, and it could be happening in Oregon. So price floors, price ceilings on corporate cannabis allow craft operators to have a freer market, but put price controls in place for corporate operators. Don't let them get away with corporate greed with multi-state operations, but also you know, force the market to manage those corporations. As far as safety and such goes, oh, man, we've got to go a far way on that, Mike. Um, it's time for these medical marijuana laws to truly evolve, because in the last two years of the pandemic, I think more people are actually using cannabis therapy in America today. Like I said, whole families are now patients. So we not only am I asking you know, everybody out there to take it more seriously as far as regulators and legislators, think about it in your own life. Think about how you use cannabis. Be mindful about it. And then think about how you can take that approach to the rest of the world and say, hey, look, If this is an important medical therapy, I need to be able to afford it. I need to have regularly lab-tested, high-quality product at an affordable price. That's the trade-off of legalization. Otherwise, what's it worth? Yeah, with no mold. It's got to be high-quality, affordable, lab-tested product. Otherwise, we have had a traditional market that doesn't have any of those things. We can pay $400 an ounce for untested, good weed, anywhere in america today but the 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 pact 
with the law and the public on legalization is supposed to be high quality, lab tested, affordable weed. And they're not delivering that. I don't think anywhere right now, really. And they're not, you know, they in Massachusetts, the Cannabis Control Commission will always go back that it's lab tested. So therefore, no mold gets to the customer. It's all lab tested. But we know that mold is getting to the customer. And my belief, honestly, from talking to the employees is that, and I'm not going to name, I'm not going to say any specific dispensary does this because I don't know which ones. I'm not going to name anybody. But I think a lot of these dispensaries are fixing the test. They're taking product for lab testing. Well, lab, that lab product. shopping is well known. I mean, that's Yeah, but that's even beyond lab shopping, thing. we're talking about cleaning the, pro- the cleaning the test product. They clean oh. it. They kill the mold. They test the product. The product passes for mold. Then they sell the mold. Well, that's lab collusion. That's also been well known in the industry. Yeah, but I mean, the lab doesn't know. The lab, lab, if the lab's only testing a, a, a gram and that gram has been cleaned and there's no mold on it, and then they go sell 50 pounds that have mold on it, that's not the lab's fault. That's I don't know, the, Mike. I watched How to Fix a Drug Scandal on Netflix, so I can't believe anything from a drug laboratory in Massachusetts, like, ever. <laughs> oh, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not saying that there couldn't be some issues with the labs, but I, I think that this problem is even beyond the labs. I think that if you have dishonest people at the dispensary and they're fixing the tests, you know, it's easy to pass one gram to get that not to have mold in it. But you, it's a lot harder to get rid of mold than 100 pounds that you're pushing out the door. Well, you know, like, again, that's the thing. The more we complain about mold, the more they're going to lobby just to allow it. So, how, how again, we're, there has to be a, a common sense consumer protection factor here. They would never allow this kind of practice to happen in agriculture that happens in cannabis every day. So we've got to take some of those common sense guidelines over. Again, marijuana has been regulated separately from everything else. If you want price controls, it's got to be written into the marijuana bill. It can't be, you know, the regular price controls that are available for consumers. If you want antitrust, that's got to be written into the marijuana bill. Oh, you want lab testing. We have to develop a very specific lab test for that because we're not going to act like laboratories ever existed other than for this marijuana bill. Now, this is the thing, Mike. In 2022, it's time for cannabis to get incorporated into the rest of reality. We don't just need to legalize it. We need to incorporate it into the rest of society and our laws and the regular regulations on price testing, price gouging, and laboratory testing. It's pretty simple. Rather than reinvent the wheel every time we need to address something with cannabis, how about we incorporate cannabis into what we've already got? we got a lot more comments tonight. Hold the mold is one of them. Uh I'm, I'm wondering, I'm just looking through to see which ones we want to uh, post right now. A lot of the same ones. Uh, oh, here's one from Dawson. Tell Dawson, oh, no, we already posted that one. Posting the same ones over again. All right, we're good, we're good on the comments. We got a lot of comments, but, uh, you know, I don't always want to post every comment. So we got Rod Weber. Yeah, but before we get to Rod, I want to say goodbye to Chris. And Dawson, I want to thank you guys so much for being on the show tonight and contributing. And uh, we'll we'll look for you on social media. I know Dawson, you're on Facebook. We follow you there. And uh, Chris, you're on Facebook as well. But uh, Freedom is Green on Twitter. Is Freedom right, is Green on Twitter. Yeah, Facebook. You know, I don't feed the Facebook monster 
uh, anymore. I'm just up on Twitter. I guess I'm helping out old Jack, but uh, find me at Freedom is Green. And uh, thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you too, Dawson. Uh, you know what? I can't think Dawson wants to say something before he leaves. Dawson, what, what's up? You got a final word? Um, I just want to say Facebook is probably the best spot to find me. Either, either Dawson Julia or Main Cannabis Coalition. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight, Dawson. It was an uh, honor to have you here. Thank you very much. And good luck in all your recovery. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right, we're the Young Jerks. That was uh, Chris Goldstein, and uh, we had uh, Dawson Julia on earlier.